0: There we go. took a minute for it to connect. All right, the book of Jeremiah. You'll need chapter 31, chapter 17. All right, if uh, you missed the first hour, well, that's one of the, um, man, we're going to have to do a lot of review because we have to have everyone on the same page, all right? Um, I, I said in the first hour, and I'll say again, I don't want to complete repeat everything from the first hour, but. This is one of those situations, it's uh, of the highest necessity to do so. I wish that I could be like most Christians, but for some weird reason I can't. Um, I wish I could just like be told, okay, here are the doctrines we're supposed to believe, never question, never challenge, never struggle, never doubt, just believe it, just teach it make it simple, give everyone a three point sermon, get them out by noon, they can get to the, you know, to lunch and everyone will be happy and everything will be wonderful. It would make my life much easier. It would make my life much better. Probably would be more quote unquote successful from a human standpoint. Everything would be great. But I just can't bring myself to do that and I never will do that. And I, and it does, and, and ultimately, I don't really care what the consequences are because I just can't, I can't do that. I mean, that's why I got kicked off Christian radio because I wouldn't play the little game. I wouldn't just give what I was supposed to do. I was like, well, why? why? No, I'm, I'm going to challenge. I'm going to question. I'm going to, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to doubt. I'm going to, I'm going to, it has to be done. And it's weird that Christianity doesn't really want that. It doesn't really allow that. It's like, no, here, Here are the rules. You stay within this parameter and any deviation will be silenced, will be canceled, and you will be destroyed because we don't, we don't tolerate that. But I can't, I can't bring myself to go along with that. And, and so that means at any time, any doctrine, any, anything that we've studied or looking at, I'm going to ask the hard questions about that no one wants to ask. And I, and I don't understand why nobody else has the same questions. It's not like the questions I ask are some like, well, where did that come from, right? It's because you look at the text and you're like, everyone should have that question. But people don't ask the questions because in Christianity, it, 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 you know, to quote a famous lyric, it's to conform or be cast out. You conform to it or you're cast out because nobody, they don't want you to ever challenge anything. But I'm sorry, anyone who reads the Bible, look, we all know. I start asking questions where? Genesis 1.1. I've said it's the most complicated, difficult, troubling verse in the entire Bible. I don't understand Genesis 1.1. I don't understand Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Wait, stop. So the God who created is all-knowing and all-powerful, but he creates a world where all of the horrible and horrific and difficult things happen. Well, he had to know before he created it. And if he's all-powerful, he could intervene at any time because isn't the Bible filled with him intervening? So if he intervenes there, then why why does he intervene in Lazarus' death, but he doesn't even bother to show up to visit John the Baptist? Why does he intervene to feed some people, like to feed the multitude, and a, a person on this earth dies every four seconds from starvation? I don't understand that. You're not supposed to ask those questions in church. You're not supposed to ask those questions in church. I struggle with the fact that God tells me to be holy, but obviously He hasn't done anything to make me holy in a practical way because I continue to sin. I have problems. You're not supposed to ask those questions in church. But if we don't, but trust me, we may not want to ask the questions in church, but people in the world ask those questions. And then Christians come up with some garbage answer they got in Sunday school that they put on a bumper sticker that they that doesn't help anyone and doesn't answer anything. And I can't stand that. I don't Look, if that's the kind of Christianity you want, then fine. There's plenty of places for that. There's got to be at least one place for people who go, I can't handle the simple answers because they're not answers. Well, we've got to deal with maybe the most important subject of this entire study on the proper distinction between law and gospel. And the reason we have to deal with this is because of thesis number five in the book that we're using, God's Yes and God's No. Thesis number five. Remember, they give us thesis on the proper distinction between law and gospel. And in thesis number five, if you haven't been keeping up with the series, in in thesis number five, a scripture is mentioned. And that scripture is Jeremiah chapter 31. So everybody go there, Jeremiah 31. Now, for those who are new to the church, years ago, I was preaching a sermon on Jeremiah 31. We were following the historical lectionary, right? Lectionary in the early church is a set of readings and that every Sunday you have four readings. And so we were just following the historical lectionary. So every week I was preaching from the lectionary. I'm preaching on Jeremiah 31 and I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll do a lesson on covenant theology. That's simple. I'll use Grudem's Systematic Theology, teach on on, on this. This will be super easy, super simple, right? So I'm preaching Jeremiah 31. I get somewhere over here in this area of the church, and all of a sudden in the middle of the sermon, I stop and go, oh no, I think we have a problem. Because all of a sudden I realized I haven't asked the right questions here, and we've got a problem. And that led us on a six-month study, basically rejecting covenant theology. And some say, well, then you embrace it. No, no. It's just we reject it because the text doesn't allow it. And if you don't know covenant theology, then it may not make any sense, but it has everything to do with what we're going to be struggling with today and probably for the next year because this is going to be controversial. But Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Everybody ready? It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. God. Says the following Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will. So, this is future, even for Jeremiah 31, this is something future, right? I will make a a new covenant. Please make sure we get that. It's new, different than the old. This is where we start having some issues with covenant theology. If you remember covenant theology, there was a covenant of works, and the covenant of works was where? In the garden. Right? Man failed the covenant of works. And then immediately after the garden, a covenant of grace was established. And all the other covenants are simply different administrations of that covenant. The only problem is, this says I'm going to make a new covenant. And not only that, he says clearly like the covenant I did not make with your fathers. So this seems to say, and at this point, he says he hadn't even made it yet. He's going to make it. It's going to be a covenant for the future. So immediately all of that says, no, 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 no. This can't be an administration of a previous covenant. This is a completely new covenant. So immediately we started having issues. But where was the real problem? I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. Those phrases, house of Israel, house of Judah, it clearly distinguishes who the covenant is with. Now, in a large portion of Christianity, they say house of Israel and house of Judah is a reference to what? The church, spiritual Israel. But anytime in the Old Testament, when you read, you see those making those distinctions, right? Those designators, house of Israel, house of Judah. We spent six months to prove this, right? Even though people wanted to argue, we proved it. And nobody who argued with me came to show me anything counter, right? The proof was what? Every time we looked at that phrase in the Old Testament, what did it reference? Israel, the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel. There's no way to get around it. We couldn't make it the church. There was no way to make it the church. Even in the New Testament, we could not make this the church. We could try. So immediately we're like, this new covenant's made with Israel. Okay. Now, The discussion was, well, wait a minute. The New Testament does seem to imply that we're somehow connected to the New Covenant. But clearly, it's made with whom? Israel. Whatever our correlation is to it, it's made specifically with Israel. And what does he say he's going to do in the New Covenant? I want everyone to pay attention to this. This is so important today. What does he say in that verse that he's going to do in the New Covenant? He's going to make a covenant. Everybody just read it. Not a, it's not according to the covenant made in the past. Everybody see that? All right? Very important. And so we know exactly who he's referring to, right? Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers and the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Clearly, you know, he's referring. That's not the church. The church wasn't in Egypt. This is Israel. There's no way to get around that. Okay, you can play all the hermeneutical games you want. There's no way to get around that. Look at the next verse. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Once again, using the, de- the designator, right? So we know what's about. Now look what he's going to do in this new covenant. And please note, after those days, he even gives some time. Something has to happen before this is going to occur, right? All right, here we go. I will put my law and their inward parts, I will write it in their hearts, and will be their God, that will be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them. Now, what we need to focus on today, I can't go back and focus on everything else, is this. This new covenant has something to do with the heart, And according to Jeremiah 31, God is going to put his law on the heart. This has to be a different putting the law on the heart, because the law is already written on man's heart. This is a different writing. And in this case, this writing on the heart is going to lead them all to know God. No one's going to need to teach them. That's serious significance, right? Okay, now, this leads us to the most fundamental, radical question that we're going to ask in this entire series. And I put forth the question in Sunday school and we started working on answering it. Everybody ready? Here is the question. In salvation, is the depraved heart replaced by a new heart? Everyone go to Jeremiah 17.9 really quick. Jeremiah 17.9. Very famous verse. Everybody should know it. If you go to a Reformed reformed church, you definitely know it. Jeremiah 17, 9. What does it say about the heart? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Everybody see that? So the question is, in the New Covenant that everyone applies not just to Israel, but to us, do we receive a new heart that is no longer desperately wicked and deceitful above all things? Meaning that all Christians have a heart that's no longer depraved. 99.9% of Christianity says yes. And I call this Completely into question. And this is the reason I call it into question. If our sinful heart is gone, then that implies, not only implies, it explicitly states that that the depraved nature has been eradicated. And if all Christians have a now completely changed heart, what what should be the result of that? Who said that? No sin? Awesome. That is so true. That would be, that's what we should expect. Okay. That should be the expectation. In other words, sin would be something that would be what? How did you do that? Bobby, how did you sin? You have a new heart. So that would possibly imply that Bobby, well, we all knew that. Okay, Bobby doesn't even argue. He's like, yeah, he's probably. Right. Okay, right. Okay. We have a problem. So what we did in the first hour, for those who, do, who, who weren't here, we looked up some passages in Ezekiel. Emma, do you remember those passages in Ezekiel? What was the first one? Everyone look at Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19. Once again, this deals with Israel. There's no question about it. Just read the context. I don't have to prove that. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, 19, but this is usually referred to by pastors and sermons that it's about us. Oh, man, I wish this was so true of us. Oh, it'd be so great if it was true of us. All right. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19, everyone there? Oh, man, just look up sermons online. They'll all, they'll all tell you this is true of you now. All right. Are you ready? What does it say about the heart? I'll give them one, heart. one heart. What does that imply? Unity! Oh man, wouldn't that be great if Christians could be unified? One heart. Next. One spirit. Or a new spirit. Okay. Alright. One heart. New spirit. Next. The heart of stone is taken out. Boom! And thrown away. And what do you get? A heart of flesh. And what seems to be the result of a heart of flesh? Keep reading. Walk you in, walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances. Meaning, obedience. So, this is preached by every, I guarantee you, every church in Abilene, reformed and not reformed, would say, this is about us. Meaning, that all of you have what? A heart of flesh now, and you obey God. Now, those churches that preach that, you know what happens? They preach the sermon. Everyone in the pew says what? And those people get in their car to drive home. And many of them, the husbands and wives, get in a fight before they even get home. Yeah, it happens. Okay, I've heard, I've heard it, of it. I don't, I've never experienced it, but I've heard that it happens. Meaning What? Well, wait, what should should you say? The next time your wife starts fighting with you, hey, honey, honey, (laughs) if you had a new heart, we wouldn't be having this argument. Right? Because we should be in agreement. So that indicates when the wife disagrees with you, she doesn't have a new heart. And she's not in unity with you because you do have the new heart and she's wrong. No, no, but none of the men are going to say amen. Bobby's like shaking his head, like, just don't, I can't say anything because she's right there, okay? Right? But shouldn't that be the case? I mean, can you imagine living in a family where everyone has a new heart that obeys God? I I, I mean, Stacy gets the privilege of experiencing that with me. See, see that stony heart still over there, Bobby? Okay. But I'm, I'm joking around, but in all seriousness, this is a serious issue. Because we are told by everyone this is the case. So we started reading some articles. Just to, I just this, what I, this morning I just went on the internet, and just started just grabbing random ar, uh, articles from all kinds of different theological perspectives. All right. So I ended up in the Reformed world because that's the world we're, we're in. But and here's the reason why. So let me just explain this. In the non-Reformed world, all right, well, the non-Reformed world. Okay, say Independent Fundamental Baptist... It, Southern Baptist, where, well, some Southern Baptist, Baptist churches are more Reformed, but you get the idea. And a non-Reformed church, they would be in what camp theologically? logically? Either we would call them Arminian or semi-Pelagian. Let me make this very clear and I'm, so I'm gonna go ahead and offend the semi-Pelagians and the Arminians, get them out of the way, and just get them mad and then go ahead and stop listening, okay? Then I'm gonna take off all the reformed people and I'll, I'll run out of people to to tick off. I guess I can take off some Catholics. Before it's over, I'll make sure everyone's mad at me, okay? But in the Armenian camp, listen, this whole discussion about a new heart is an absolute waste of time, doesn't mean anything. Because guess what is a core teaching of this system? The core teaching in this system is that even if you have a depraved heart, what is not impacted by the depraved heart according to an Arminian or a semi-Pelagian? The will. Now, guess what? That would mean that that you don't need to get a new heart because your will is capable by itself to do what things? Choose God. Repent. Believe, don't need God's help. So for them, you don't even need a new heart. Because when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, your will was still free to do what? I want God. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to believe in Him. That is the Arminian semi Pelagian view. Which, and you know why? Because it flows from Pelagianism. And what did Pelagius believe? That even an unregenerate person could be what? Perfect. It flows from that. Right? The, the tree, the, the root was corrupt, and then you get the, the result of it in Arminianism and Semi Pelagianism. But no, and now, I, when I was an independent fundamental Baptist and I got, you know, kicked out of my first Bible Institute for studying Reformed theology and all the trouble that I got into, I, when, I, when I argued with them, I should have realized, I should have just said, wait, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. The will is completely free. So, you're sinless, right? Because if the will is free, you're free to choose not to sin. Anybody pulled that off? No, Well, I hope. they. I knew them. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, I knew them. All I have to do, look, anytime any Christian wants to argue with me about how great they are, guess what I have to do? I just have to go find your, come here. I just get your kids to say, come here. I just pull your kids aside and say, give me the lowdown. Oh, you, mom and dad said you're an idiot, okay? <laughs> oh, I, I already knew they thought that, but thank you for telling me that, right? All of a sudden, I, get, I find out everything that they said, right? Kids tell you anything, right? Kids tell you anything. I know, Becca used to tell, Becca would tell the Sunday school teacher, hey, please pray for my parents. They're going to get a divorce. And then the, the church is coming to us. Are you having a marital problem? What's going on? What did Becca tell them? I'm like, that's it. No more going to Sunday school. Just sit next to us. Okay. No. All right. No. But because you never know what they're going to say. Like right now, who knows what your kids are telling Stacy right now? Okay. Who knows? Okay. Right. Okay. You never know. Right. I mean, we all know that. So, Because they, they don't know the filter. No, 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 that's, for that's, that's, that's our business, right? Okay. But, so, we know you know that no matter, wouldn't it be wonderful? Because if your will is that free, then why do you and your husband ever fight? You're free to do the right thing. You're free to respond with a kind word. You're free to turn the other cheek. You're free to love as Christ loves the church. You're free to do all of that. Wives, you're free to reverence and respect your husband. Clearly, you're not using that freedom. <laughs> 2,000 years of church history, right? So, so that side, I don't even care about the Armenian side. They don't, their whole viewpoint makes no sense to me anyway. I don't believe in that Calvinism stuff. I believe the will is free. Okay, well, don't argue with me. Just live a perfect life and get out of my way, okay? Because, I mean, I don't even know why we're dealing with you, okay? Because you believe the will is free. Now, over in the Reformed world, we believe the will is totally enslaved to sin. But in the Reformed world, it's very common to say this. The will is in bondage to sin. We are depraved. But dun-dun-da-da! Da. And salvation, a new heart. Which then would imply that we can do it. So, we have looked at, I'm not going to go back and read all the articles that I read in the first hour, but I'm going to pick up one of them. And we're going to look at some of the arguments that they made because they give a list of scriptures that basically said, I'll summarize what they said. All right. This is what they said. All right. Um, If I can find it right where they said it. All right. Here we go. They said, um, here's what we should say. This is what they say from a reformed perspective. All right. That we no longer have that depraved heart. This is what supposedly is true of us now in salvation. And guess what they reference? The new covenant. Which is already a problem, see? Because they're referencing the new covenant and they're taking those promises for the new covenant and making them directly applicable to us. I think that the, the new covenant promises is for Israel and that at some point Israel will get a new heart and will be completely transformed. And we have the only place we can possibly put that is a millennial kingdom, possibly. The only thing that may, may even possibly make sense. Right? I'm not even going to say that's perfect. I don't know where we ultimately fulfill it, but here's what they say, right? So, we should, uh, we should not say, this is what we should not say as, as now believers, that our new, please note, new spirit and dwelt heart. So we have a new heart that is spirit indwelt. dwelt. So this is what we should not say, that it is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. We should never say that about our hearts anymore. That's no longer true. What we should say is that apart from Christ, I would be deceived. Apart from Christ, I would be corrupt. But I'm no longer apart from Christ. I have the mind of Christ by grace through faith. So in other words, hey, now that I have Christ, I don't have a deceived heart. I don't have a wicked heart. I have a new heart. Now, if you're talking about my position, I'm in complete agreement with you. They're talking in practice. Now, I wish it was true. I want to make sure everybody understands. It's not like I'm like, ooh, I want it to be true that I have a deceived and uh, desperately wicked heart. I don't want that. But I can't deny the reality of what 2,000 years of church history has demonstrated. What your life has demonstrated. What my life has demonstrated. So here are the scriptures they use to somehow try to prove otherwise. Everybody ready? Okay. In fact, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go, this is where they start this from. So they basically say, okay, here's the depraved heart, but Christ breaks through the depraved heart. And guess where they start? Ezekiel. All right, we've already looked at the first one, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19. I will remove the heart of stone from from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh all right Ezekiel 11:19 and then Ezekiel 36:26 Ezekiel 36:26 All right Ezekiel 36:26 everybody ready Okay, it's going to say the exact same thing, and it's still about Israel. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Again, they go to these passages. And these passages are dealing with Israel, and these passages are about what God's going to do for Israel in the new covenant. There's no way to get around it. All right, so that's, that's the two they go to. Look, the only reason these even work is because they take the new covenant and lo- remove who from it? it, and they make it about us. So that none of those are helpful. So they're going to give us some New Testament passages. Are you ready? Okay. Now, okay. Now we got to take a deep breath here, right? And here's the reason why. Clearly. I already have a built-in prejudice against their view because I just think it's ridiculous. But I'm, I've got to be willing to listen to the verses they give us. And they're going to give us their best, this, this is what they believe is the New Testament's best proof that our hearts now have been completely changed. All right, Are we ready? Here we go. Here's, the, here's, their, here's their top list of scriptures from the New Testament. They go straight to the New Covenant. So So already their assumption is that the New Covenant is made... That We are a part of the new covenant and we get this specific part. I do believe we, we are partakers of the new covenant to some level. I just know that there's no way I get the new heart this way because it just doesn't happen. I will get a new heart and glory when the old is completely gone. But it's not happened now. And to say that it's happened now is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. When I stand before God, oh, I will be completely transformed. Right? So we believe it will happen, right? It's like if someone says, is is healing guaranteed in the atonement? Absolutely. But when? In glory. Will I get a a brand new heart that is no longer deceitful and wicked? Yes, in glory. But everybody wants to take these promises for glory and make them now. The only problem is it doesn't work. There can't be for now. I mean, all you got to do, put it this way. Uh, and I'll just, I say this for the people online who are already starting to email me. Look, don't argue with me. Just prove it. Okay. Yeah, the charismatics, go heal the sick people. You never do, okay? I worked 22 years in the medical world. I know you don't, okay? Uh, and number two, then just be perfect. The Arminians who believe their will is free can never pull it off. And the Reformed people who believe we get a new heart never can pull it off. So someone's lying. I've got evidence on my side. That's what I would say. But here's their scriptures. You ready? All right. 2 Corinthians. <laughs> okay. Well, no, no, we're not even going to go to that one yet. It's just, it's, it's just funny that you would go to the book of Corinthians to prove anything. Right? It's written to a church made up of all kinds of messed up people, right? Yes? I mean, they commit every sin. I mean, the people, this is what the church of Corinth did. They showed up for Sunday school and go, all right, guys, this is the sin we're going to commit this week. Everybody ready? Yes, break. All right, that, that's basically what they did, okay? And you're like, you're joking. I know, I mean, like, they, that's all they ever did was sin. I mean, when you start getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, you know your church has got some problems. Right, I mean, come on, right? Would you let's admit it? If all of a sudden on the news they were like, "Hey, First Baptist Church in Abilene last night, seventeen people were arrested after the Lord's Supper because they were drunk and driving home drunk," we'd be like, "What's wrong with that church? That's the church of Corinth." But what did Paul say about them, babes in Christ? Babes in Christ. It's kind of odd if they have a new heart. But, all right, so they go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. All right, for God, I'm going to read it from the translation they give, and then you can tell me what you have there, okay? All right, everybody ready? For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Everybody got that? Now, what, what, what's kind of missing from 2 Corinthians 4, 6? <laughs> it doesn't really say anything that they're, they're, they're attaching this verse to, right? The best it says is that he has shown, shined in our hearts. In the light of knowledge. Now, I do believe God, faith is what? A gift. I do believe God gives us faith. Right? We don't. It doesn't. It doesn't come from inside of us. God has to give it to us because we believe that we are totally depraved. So I do believe God gives faith. I don't believe this verse somehow says, "Hey, guess what? Now you have a completely new heart. It's no longer deceived." It doesn't make that claim. Like, how do you even read that as making that claim? I don't get that. All right. Does anybody? Does anybody see a major problem here? I don't think it does. Okay, I don't think it does. Hey, They obviously think it does. All right, number two, Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Romans 10, nine. Everybody there? Okay, this is their second go-to. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How does that prove anything? You know what? That's true. If you will do those things, you'll be saved. But what do we know? Can you do those things normally? No, God has to give you the faith. So I don't even know what that proves. Does that prove that that once you do that then your stony your stony heart is removed? Like that has nothing to do with it, right? Agreed? Okay, like I'm 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 baffled that they start their first two doesn't even address the Ezekiel. I could I could pick some better ones, I think, all right? Go to number 3. Everybody ready? Romans 2:29. Romans two twenty nine. What do we have here? But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Does, does anybody does that? What does that prove? I I don't know. Does anybody know what this proves? What what would be the most logical question if you're going to apply this to what they're claiming? What would be your logical question here? What would be the logical question here? Come on. Just think this through. Come on. Think it through logically. Come on. Well, I know you would say, what does it have to do? But it, it would raise a different question. Okay, well, circumcision is the cutting away of something. It's a cutting away of, of foreskin from something, right? Okay, so it doesn't remove everything. It's just the cutting away of something. This, the, you, If you have a new heart, why does anything have to be cut away from it? Right, if it's a completely new heart, you don't circumcise a new heart. You circumcise old heart where you're cutting away something from it. So that doesn't even make any sense. Yes? Okay, that, that, that I don't even know why you would, refer, that would seem to cause you more problems than it would help you. Alright, next passage. Romans 5.5 5. What does Romans 5.5 say? All right. This would say that God's love has been poured into our hearts. Yes? Okay? And hope maketh maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. All right. This this demonstrates the presence of love. It doesn't demonstrate a new heart. Right? It doesn't any... You can say, well, as a Christian, we should have some kind of love. I would hope that as a Christian, we should have some kind of love for God. But what are the fruits of the Spirit? Long-suffering, goodness, temperance, right? Okay, that doesn't prove a brand new heart, does it? Not in any way, shape, or form. All right, Romans 6, 17. Now we know Romans six seventeen raises now this one raises some serious questions. We've talked about this one, and this one is very, very hard to know what to do with. All right, Romans six seventeen, everybody there. But God be thankful, or but God be thanked, that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart uh, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. Now, we struggled with this when we covered Romans 6. Did we not? And the best we can come up with is, this has to refer somehow to our position, because what do we know spiritually? We are not free from sin. Right? Remember? What does Paul later say? The things I want to do, I don't do. and The things I don't want to do, I do. And then what does he go on to say? With my mind, I serve the law of God. But he ends that section, which nobody ever quotes... That with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So clearly this freedom has to be a positional thing. It, can be, it can't be true practically. If it was true practically, then what should be the result? We should be free from sin, meaning? We no longer sin! Look, you can't, listen, let me make it very clear. I can't look at Bobby and say you're free from sin, but you can't be perfect. Because if he can't be perfect... Then you're not free. Right? You can't put a dog on a chain, right, and say, You're free, you're free, and the dog takes off running. (coughs) That's freedom. That's what Christians think freedom is, I guess. You're free, but you can't be perfect. You're still going to sin. Then I'm not free. How am I free? Positionally, I am completely free from sin. That's that's the only way. If you, that's the only way to make this work. Or the Bible is just completely. It's it makes absolutely no sense. well, but very few saved people. Right? Yeah, and I, I don't I haven't met any. I haven't met any. All right. How about Second Corinthians one twenty two? We got to go through these quickly. Second, uh, Second Corinthians uh, one twenty two. God has also put his seal on us, this is how it reads, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I don't know what that has to do with anything. The spirit in me is a guarantee of what? Of the seal, of him coming to get me. Remember, we sometimes kind of describe the indwelling the, the of the spirit like an engagement ring, right? It's a down payment. He it's guaranteed he's going to come get me. That has nothing to do with anything. That doesn't prove anything. I I don't see this is the best they can come up with. They're reading this because they are applying the Ezekiel to us, and now they're just looking for anything in the New Testament that may be connected to the heart. What did they do? They went to Ezekiel, oh, we're gonna get a new heart. Now I'll just find any verse in the New Testament that mentions the heart and says, see, that proves it. That doesn't prove anything. Because, first of all, you haven't proven that Ezekiel is about us. Because the context is about Israel. All right, go to the next one. Galatians 4.6. No, I'm not giving you money. Okay. Their website wants me to give them money. Okay. Galatians 4. I'm not giving you money for this horrible attempt to prove something that you're not proving. Okay. Galatians 4.6. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying. The best they've come up with is to say that in my heart, there's some kind of love that's put there, and that my heart cries, Abba, Father. I'm not going to have a problem with any of that. I believe as a Christian, there is some kind of love for God, right? There's a desire for God. And we say, Abba, Father. Okay? Doesn't mean I have a new heart. Okay, next. Philippians 3.17. I'm sorry, Ephesians 3.17. Ephesians 3.17, I'm sorry. Ephesians 3.17. What do you have? Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That doesn't say, doesn't say anything that they're claiming. All right, next, Philippians 4.7. Philippians 4.7 And the peace of God which surpass all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. None of that g- helps me. None of this proves anything that they're claiming. That's the best. That's their list. That's their list. Now, you think that we quote what? Sarah made a reference to it when we first started. 2 Corinthians 5.17 That if anyone's in Christ is a new creature old things are passed away all things have become new. That would be the best to go with, Right? That has the word new in it. And it has all things in it. What is our und- and we've already gone through 2 Corinthians. We've looked at this passage so many times. And every time I do, it, I get emails like I've never heard this in my entire life. Remember, the passage is first and foremost about what? How I am to perceive other Christians. How am I to see Bobby? As a new creature. Because I am to see him in light of his position, not in light of his practice. Does that mean I ignore his practice? No, it just remains that no, I don't judge him based off his practice. What do I judge him based off of? His faith in Christ. Because then faith in Christ makes Bobby a new creature positionally. Why? Because Christ's righteousness is imputed to him. So in and, and Christ, what is Bobby? Perfect, sinless, holy, righteous, godly, obedient. What is he Practically. All of the other things, right? A stinking sinner. She she wanted to make a stinking sinner, okay? She wanted to make sure everyone knew that, okay? She looked for, she hasn't answered one question in 10 years. And I was a like, Bobby's a stinking sinner. Okay, right, <laughs> all right. Now, but that's true, right? That's true. And everybody walks around. Every church in Abilene will preach it. You're all new creatures in Christ. What are you talking about? I know the people who go to your church. They're not new creatures. We're all okay? That's the one thing we all have in common. So that, like, why would we, why would we argue this? Now, I don't have time to go to the rest of the articles. I mean, I just, I just, I, I, I've i got probably 30 articles. I just, it was easy to find. Because every Christian website was like, you no longer have a depraved heart. 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 I'm like, have you seen Christianity in 2,000 years? What's the one thing I know about Christianity in 2,000 years? A depraved heart. I mean, I I can give thousands of examples. There were were Christians in Nazi Germany who supported Hitler and what he was doing. There were Christians who supported the enslavement of human beings based off the color of their skin and preached that there was scripture. That's insane. There were there were Christians who burned people at the stake for claiming that they were falsely falsely accusing them of being a witch. I can go we know the horrific crimes been done in the name of Jesus. Well, how do you explain these horrific crimes and these horrific failures if all of the people doing them have a new heart and completely new? So then what's our what's the ace uh, out of what's the ace we play? We have the ace up our sleeve. They're not, they're not saved. 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 Anyone who does anything wrong? Not saved. 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 And then sooner or later Nobody say but you. Until you do something wrong. So, how are we to understand this? I'm going to try to make it as clear as I can make it. And I know this goes against every, look, I know this goes against every Christian in the world, but I'm sorry. Don't argue with me, just prove me wrong. Just prove me wrong. Here's the thing. We have a depraved heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. We will have that heart until glorification. My relationship to Christ is not based on now that I have a new heart so that I can be obedient. My relationship to Christ is based off what? Christ's heart His obedience imputed to my account, my positional standing. In my position position before God, what is true of me? Perfect, obedient, no sin, no anything. What is true of me practically? A sinner. I reject outright the teaching that when I became a Christian, I get a new heart and the old is gone. I just, I don't see. And anything that would imply that, well, first of all, the passages in the Old Testament, we don't even have to deal with, right? Because it's about whom? It's about Israel. Has that happened to Israel yet? No. Because as Stephen pointed out, if you look at those texts, almost all of them connects this to the what? The regathering and getting the land. And almost all of these passages connect this new heart with them being regathered and getting the land. Well, if you try to say well they got the land, they didn't la- even if you supposedly say they got the land, they didn't get it very long. They rarely ever had complete control of it. And not only that, as soon as you open the New Testament, where is Israel? Under the control of Rome. And then what happens? 70 AD, they're wiped off the face of the earth. They're not even a nation until 1940, was it 2 or 8? 48. Not until 1948. Now they come back as a nation, do they have the land? No, not even close. They don't even control Jerusalem for crying out. They don't even control the Temple Mound. Right? Uh, do, do they have a new heart and they all believe in God? No, they reject Him. So that means it still hasn't happened yet. So the fulfillment of that new covenant has to be yet future. And you don't, don't rip it away from them and then say it's about us because we were never promised the land. And don't make the land some spiritual promise, then now you're destroying how to interpret the Bible. So Israel will get the land, and when they get the land, what will be true of them? A new heart. God will be in their midst. I wonder how that could work. Does anybody know? Is there, is there a theology or a system that would put God in the midst of Israel? And God would, and they will be His people, and He will be their God. A millennial reign where Christ literally reigns—that's the only thing that works. And you say, "Oh, you're going all dispensational." I don't. I, I'm not worried about what you call it. I'm worried about like I've got to make this make sense. It, God made a promise to Israel that has never been fulfilled. Don't say it's fulfilled in the church. Because that's a joke. We sin. So it has to be for Israel. Unless it's just all an allegory, well, then anything can mean anything. Jesus didn't really die, and Jesus really wasn't born of a virgin, and Jesus wasn't really crucified. I mean, you say, and they would be like, how dare you make an allegory? Well, if you can make everything to Israel an allegory, I'll make everything in the New Testament an allegory. There wasn't an Adam and Eve, it was an allegory. Like, I'll just make everything. And they'll say, how dare you do that? Well, wait, if you can do that, I can do that. Either we got to take it literal unless the text gives us reason not to. So I don't believe our hearts are cha- changed or transformed or, or made new in salvation. I just don't, I don't see that. Do I believe God does work in our heart in some way or shape for There are verses that seem to imply that, right? He puts love in our heart. Maybe peace. We cry, but Father. There's something going on in our heart. But I know this. He's obviously not giving me supernatural power to say no to sin. Or I could be perfect. So whatever he is. I do believe that somehow. I Remember, I have always said, I don't quite know how it works. But the f- Spirit is supposed to be producing fruit in my life. Love, joy, peace, long stuff. But I know this. That every fruit that is produced is corrupted because it's being produced inside a life that still has a sinful nature. So is my love ever pure? Okay, a flawed heart. Is my love ever pure? Is your joy ever pure? No. Is your patience ever pure? Okay. <laughs> no, okay, it's not. I do believe he's working in us somehow. But I can't quantify, I can't, I can't necessarily always know how it works because here's what we do know. Sometimes even when it appears that we're doing good, it's, it's, it's covered up, right? Not, not to I'll quote the great philosopher Taylor Swift, right? In her, her new album, she talks about how, not how she disguises her narcissism as altruism. powerful lyric. Hey, hey, I'm really, I'm acting like I'm altruistic, right? I'm, I'm acting like I'm all caring, but it's just covering up my own narcissism. That's a powerful lyric. I was like, man, that's brilliant. Way to go. Way to go, Taylor. That's, that's a good song right now, okay? Right? so, but it's true of all. Isn't it amazing sometimes it's the non-Christian who has a better understanding of human nature than Christians? She's not operating from a position of believing in total depravity, but she understands that even the good thing she does can be simply a disguise for her own narcissism. How can she figure that out? Everything we do is tainted by it. I can, I can, I can preach for the wrong reason and the wrong motive. I can love someone for the wrong reason and the wrong motive. I can be nice to someone for the wrong reason. I can give something for the wrong reason and the wrong motive. And we're all guilty of that. Yes? Which means that even our good is tainted by something. What, what, what is still tainting it? Uh, A sinful nature, and if I have a sinful nature, you can't say, don't give me this weird, like, okay, you have a sinful nature, but you no longer have a sinful heart. Like, now you're starting to, you're going to be having a diagram chopping all us up into so many different pieces, I'm not even going to be able to figure it all out, right? Okay, the heart is completely new, but the nature is completely bad. Well, then, does the nature have control of the heart? Does the heart control the nature? Like, then it just starts becoming ridiculous, Right? It's like I was taught back in, in the Armenian Independent Fundamental Baptist school that the heart that we're sinful, but the will is insulated from the depravity. And it's like, how does this work? So I'm totally depraved, but my will isn't. Like, how? but then I get a new heart, but but the old nature is still there, but the will is still free. Like out of like you, you're schizophrenic at some point. Okay, now we are schizophrenic in this way between our position and our practice. Because our practice never matches up to our position because our position is perfect. Now, I, I'm, I'll just end with this. I am not in any way demanding anyone believe anything I just said. I, I, I've been a Christian long enough to not even worry anymore if anyone disagrees. Disagree all you want. Okay? I would just say if you disagree with me, thank you, that's great. Just you, you get to live a life with a brand new heart that's free from sin. And so I'm going to expect from you perfection. That's, that's it. I just expect from you for perfection. And whenever we need to give an example of holiness and perfection, I'll bring you up here and make you stand in front of everyone and go, ladies and gentlemen, don't be like me. Be like them. Now, people say that's ridiculous. Well, no, I mean, if you're claiming you have a brand new heart, okay, you should be able to do it, right? Because I just know this. I can't be like you. I'm a sinner. And thought, word, deed, desire. You can say, man, that's pretty sad. I know, it is. Guess what I wish? That I had a new heart. Oh, I will. But I don't believe we have it now. And and look, that's going to put, that literally what we just said today puts us against every church everywhere. But I don't know how to reconcile it. So if you go to a new church, don't tell them you believe that because then you'll be a major opposite. Op- I'm just saying, because, because it's, it's going to be crazy to just the responses we're going to get to this, but I'm sorry, I, 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 can't, I can't accept any other teaching, and I can't accept any other teaching because it's not real. <laughs> and I think anyone who's emailing me, just before you email me, just give it 24 hours to really look at your own heart and your own life. Just look at your own heart and your own life. If you, you're going to see the sin. You, can, you can't deceive yourself that long. You know what's going on inside of you. You know what, everyone here knows what goes on inside of you. Some of you right now are like, I wish you would shut up because I'm hungry. Right? Okay, nobody will say amen. Eli, but he said amen. Okay, okay. Yeah, he's like, I, I wanted him to shut up 30 minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> I understand. Okay. I wanted to shut up 30 minutes ago. Okay. All right. Let's stop. My wife is probably telling me to shut up. Someone's telling me to shut up somewhere. Right. Look I we come before you this afternoon. Lord, I, I know so many will disagree with everything, but all I can say is this. I know personally, Lord, that I still have a sinful heart. I desire sin. I think about sin. I struggle with sin. And all I can say is forgive me, and I thank you that my salvation is not dependent on that. It's dependent upon what your son did for me. And what I have in him. That's my only hope. And nothing else I have. And I asked this in his name. And God's people said,